we need Christmas. It is, this world is going mad and we just need to stop it and just remember what we're about. And to me, it is so good to be able to talk about things that really matter. And so we're going to just go into four weeks of what I'm going to call Christmas classics. We're just going to talk about the story, our story. You could say that this is the church's story. It's what defines us. It's what makes us Christians. And we are the ones that first experience this joy. And um, what we're going to do is we're just going to take four weeks and we're going to answer the why, where, what, and how of Christmas. Very simple. And I'm calling it classics for a very simple reason. And so today, this week, we're talking about why. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Or what is the meaning of Christmas? But the definition of classics is this. It's the idea of a teaching, a tradition, or a truth that has an intrinsic value of enduring excellence. By enduring, it's something that needs to be passed on. Even though you know the story, your kids might not know the story. What I find interesting is you might not really actually know the story, but you think you know the story. So our objective is to teach the story and to teach it right. It also is something that has helped the community over time establish their identity. It makes us who we are. Sense of worth and place in this world. I was talking to Tom Thomas, the prayer partner, this morning, and he said, did you know without purpose for life, people will only live for pleasure? If you don't know why you're here on this earth, if you don't know why God made you, or why you work, why you do what you do, eventually what you're going to end up doing is just pursuing pleasure. But when you understand your place in this world, what your purpose is, what we're here to do, then you start having meaning and purpose, and life comes into focus. And hopefully by going through Christmas classics, we are going to be brought back to why we're here in what really matters. When I was thinking about the word classic, you um, probably have family movies that you have shared over time that you have shared during Christmas. My dad would always show me a Christmas carol. And then It's a Wonderful Life. And I remember when I was a kid, I did not like a Christmas carol. I didn't like it. It's boring. Like, Dad, do we have to watch that again? And then when I started growing up, got about 16, 17, I wanted to watch it. And then when I had kids, I wanted to show them, and they're like, Dad, do we have to watch this? And then when they get older, they're like, We're go are we going to watch that? And it starts becoming a part of you. A classic is something that really has meaning, and it gives you identity. I'll give you a classic song. If you know the song, sing along with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord that's a classic song but it does something to you when you hear it it reaches deep and that's the intent of these four weeks we are going to go into some passages of scripture that reach deep this first one is I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 was written about 3,000 years ago, so it's old. 
says in the New Testament that God has spoken to the prophets to write things down for us so we can understand salvation, so we can understand why Jesus came. I'm going to pick these passages because to me, they tell the story of Christmas, but they're deep and they're mysterious. Sometimes the words can't be explained, but when you understand them and meditate upon them, it changes you. And this is one of those passages. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In a former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in a later time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this is our passage. What I've done for you is in your bulletins, I put a sermon sheet if you want to study the sermon sheet and go along with what I'm saying. I have notes that uh, you can fill in the blanks. But on the back side are table talks. And what these table talks are for is to go over the sermon throughout the week with your family. Whether it be around the dinner table, whether if you're just sitting in the living room by the tree, the the objective is to make this truth Become a part of you and your family. Because this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we love Christ. And it's our story. And the story begins in verse 1. And the story begins in darkness. Listen to what it says. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. As if the people are, at the time this is written, in gloom and anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So contempt means God was against the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. That is the northwestern region of Palestine. Where the Sea of Galilee is, it's a little bit to the west, and it's right on the Mediterranean Sea, and they were judged by God for, you'll see why, really for their rebellion against God. And then it says... um, But in a later time, see that phrase in verse 1, the later time? 
That is what's called a biblical idiom for the return of the Messiah. It's the time when the Messiah is going to come. So in a later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And in verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And so you could say it begins with the story being people are in darkness. And you need to start there. Because if you don't really understand the problem, you won't want the solution. Let's look at it like this. We are having a debate that is raging right now, and I'm not here to make a political statement, but I want to explain to you why this debate is raging is on the word vaccine. I can say that word, and some of you think one way, and some of you think another way. Some of you see the need in the vaccine because you really believe the pandemic is that bad, and you really believe the vaccine works, so you get it. That's why you get it. But there's a whole group of people that don't believe the epidemic is that bad, and they don't believe the vaccine works, so they don't get it. You can trump all you want the vaccine, but if these people aren't convinced, the solution means nothing to them. In the same way, when it comes to Christmas, Christmas is a solution, the greatest solution ever offered to a massive problem. And what this writer is spelling out is he calls this problem living in darkness. Let me explain. This is the book of Isaiah. If you go to chapter 1 of Isaiah... It begins with God being upset with his people. Isaiah is a prophet of the Jews. By the time Isaiah was written, God was getting ready to hammer his people, like really discipline them, send them off to a far country called Babylon so that they would be basically destroyed. And the reason is real simple, starting in verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So it's about Judah and Jerusalem, the people of God. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, these are kings of Judah, so he's writing to the nation. And here's what he says in verse 2. Hear, O heavens. He's speaking to to the heavens. Listen to my testimony. It's like courtroom of God. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. So God says, I have raised people like, I've raised children, I've reared them, I've given them everything, and they have rebelled. The reason they're in darkness is because this nation is bent on rebellion. Do you think we live in a world that is in rebellion against the living God? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Like, you can, you, can, uh, you can say we celebrate Christmas because we get gifts and go shopping at the mall, but do those people who buy gifts really celebrate God? Do they? I mean, do you? Or are we in rebellion? Do we really want to obey God? The people at this time wanted nothing to do with Him. So darkness started to descend. Their minds started really turning away from God. And they started to sin like crazy. Look at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, 
They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. What he's saying, the problem now is because of their rebellion, they are freely sinning and destroying their life. I don't think people believe sin is that bad a thing. Because if you don't think sin is that bad a thing, the coming of Jesus won't really mean anything. It may bring a tear to your eye while you watch some claymation video or, you know, Santa's coming. So you watch all the Santa Claus movies. But that's not why he came. He came because we were dark. We still are dark. Have you ever watched some of the TikTok videos that come out? Like, have you ever watched people just... Like, what's really gross is you go to Instagram and girls don't mind just throwing out in the public realm soft porn. And guys don't mind looking at it all day. Like, it's, it's become a, this disgust. And just the way we have no problem with these killing sprees that are going on. Somebody drives over six people with a van and we turn it into a political statement. Somebody just killed six people. Aren't we broken? Somebody shoots up a high school and it becomes against, it's all about the, somebody just shot student. Something's wrong with us. I mean, really wrong with us. We're falling apart. You can feel it. I feel it every week. The last three weeks, I've had a major funeral. Our bodies are falling apart. Morally, we just don't even get along. We criticize, complain, argue. Something's wrong with us. It's called darkness. It's sin. And then what happened is Isaiah said, well, here, let me, let me show you where God is at with us. If you go to Isaiah chapter 5, he gives a little story. It's very important you know this. It's Isaiah chapter 5. It says, let me sing for my beloved. This is Isaiah 5 verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song. So this is God writing through Isaiah. I am going to sing a love song about those who I love. So it starts off with God loves us. It's funny because a lot of people think the Old Testament is this book where God is mean. He just beats us up. It starts off with a love song. I love my people. He loves you. For God so loves the world. And it says, so my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. So he's going to tell a parable. And the parable is about his people are going to be like grapes. He makes his vineyard. He plants them on the earth. And he wants them to grow to be fine grapes. So verse 2. He dug it and cleared it of stones. Planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild meaning rotten grapes. And now, O habitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. 
What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? So he's saying, I've done everything for people, but why do you blame me? I did everything. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and shall be trampled upon. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Meaning God's just going to take his hand of blessing off. Verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Truthfully, to me, you know what news is these days? It's just an outcry. So what is the result? Look at verse 20, 25. Verse 25. And I want you to let it sink in. Because this is where darkness has led to. Verse 25. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And he stretched out his hand against them and struck them and the mountains quake and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away. For all this his anger has not turned away. So, that's why Isaiah 9 says the land is in darkness. This is where the promise starts getting good. And to me, the reason why I'm just stopping on this, if you don't understand this, then the purpose of Christmas, we're going to talk about this in a second. This means nothing to a lot of people. They just kind of go through the motions because that's the religious and holy thing to do. But this has meaning, deep meaning. But it won't make any sense if you scoot quickly past it. Because sin is in us. It is. But listen to what Isaiah 9 says. It really gets good. So verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Actually, verse 1, it begins by saying there will be no more gloom. I mean, the darkness is going to be, it's going to be cast away by light. He keeps going on in verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So he says it's going to be so good. It's going to be kind of like harvest time. When all the crops come in, the apples are ripe, the wheat is full, we have bread in the oven, we have a celebration, we have pumpkin pie. That's harvest time. It's going to be that much. It's going to be that good. Or it's going to be when you divide the spoil. What's the spoil when an army, a bad army, comes to invade you and you fight them and you destroy them and you go into their towns and you take all of their gold and silver and you divide it? It's going to be that much joy. That's what that means. And then verse 4 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So God's, he's basically saying, so God's God's heaviness of discipline is going to be taken off of them as it was in the days during Midian. 
You're probably like, I don't know what that means. Listen to what this is talking about. In the Old Testament, book of Judges, there's this guy named Gideon. Gideon was a farmer. Gideon was told by God to get an army to fight against the Midianites. The Midianites were bad, man. They were stealing everything from Israel. Every time Israel would have a harvest, they'd take their food. They took all of their cattle. They took all of their livestock. And it says Israel lived in caves for seven years. Could you imagine if China came and invaded us and we lived in the underground tunnels? And they took everything from us? That's bad. Like, that's oppression. It's not just shutting down businesses. It's like they're stealing your whole business. This is what was happening at that time. So God got this guy named Gideon. He said, Gideon, I want you to form an army. He formed an army of 30,000 men to fight against the Midians who had about the same size army. So he's getting ready to fight them. And God says, hey, wait a minute, Gideon. I want you to take about two-thirds of the men and send them home. So his army had 10,000 people. So they're getting ready to fight this battle. And God says, wait a minute, Gideon. I want you to have all the men go drink out of the water, the river, and whoever just laps it up like a dog, I want you to keep them as the army and send everybody else home. So they started with an army of 30,000. They were left with 300 men to fight an army of 30,000. God, you have to be kidding. That's your answer? Well, they won. They decimated Midian because God showed up. And so he's saying, just like it was on the day of Midian, it's going to be for you. How is God going to do this? Verse 6 is the answer. Here's how God is going to get us out of darkness. Verse 6 says this. God's answer is a child, a baby, a little crying, tiny-fisted, you know, baby that puts fist in its mouth, rubs its eyes, wails, cries, tiny little feet. That's his answer. It's kind of like Gideon saying, you mean I'm going to fight 300 people to 30,000? You mean a baby's going to rescue us from darkness, from sin, from rebellion, from God's anger? How? How is this Going to happen. That's incredible. Like if you think about it, whatever your problem is, I don't know how your last two years have been or your last three years have been. I have had, and I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm not making excuses, but I have had across my desk phone calls of people dying, of people getting divorced, domestic violence, of people that leave are leaving different schools, schools they used to love, of families that argue just because of masks, of people that left our church because I didn't take some position or I did take a position. We are in a state of chaos. You know what the answer is? A baby. If I didn't know the Christmas story and you told me, hey, you know what the answer for this period is? It's a little tiny baby. I'd say you are out of your mind. What can a baby do? It's a baby. That's crazy. This, what we believe sometimes is nuts. It's crazy. 
We believe people are going to rise from the dead. That's crazy. Did you know that? But they said true sanity always walks on the edge of insanity, actually. What is a baby going to do? Watch what a baby is going to do. Verse 2 calls him a great light. Means he's going to dispel the darkness. How is he going to do it? Well, in verses 6 and 7, he's going to give him a title and a genealogy. Look what it says for us. For to us a child is born. So this little baby who has been born is for us. It's a gift for us to handle the problem of darkness. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So he has four titles. The first title is, well, first thing about him is the government's going to be placed upon him, which is talked about in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government of, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here's what he's saying. This baby, he's, um, he's David's son. The lineage of David. If you, if you are a Jew and you heard that, instantly you'd know what's going on. King David was the first king after Saul. Saul was a rotten king. But King David was this guy that, that God chose to be the king. And so Samuel, the prophet, said, David's going to be the king. So he took this horn of oil, a container of oil, and poured it over David's head. And that's called anointing anointed king, pours this oil over his head, which means that God chose him, and the, the oil represents the spirit of the living God coming upon David to give him power, ability, wisdom. When he sang songs, King Saul would just be at peace. But this baby is David's, David's uh, son. Why is that important? Because God gave a promise to David. Your son is going to sit on your throne forever. And when he sits on your throne, he is going to bring righteousness to the rebels. He's going to bring peace to people. So that's what this baby is, is a king. He's a king. He's anointed. That's why we call him the Christ. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. But this baby has some interesting names. He has the name Wonderful Counselor, which means he has all the wisdom. He's going to be called Mighty God. That, that is only reserved for Jehovah. So he's going to take the title of Jehovah. Do you remember when Moses was at the burning bush? And the burning bush said, go and release my people from slavery. And he said, tell me, who's sending me? And God said, I am that I am. That's where we get the, the word Jehovah. It's from the constantness of it. The Lord, the mighty Lord. So mighty God, this baby is the one who spoke to Moses? Really? And then this baby is everlasting father. How can a baby who's born be the father that's everlasting? 
We believe some strange things, but we believe this. This is called the incarnation. We're going to talk more about this later, but the incarnation means God, almighty God, took on flesh, carn, flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. So you could say this child was not only David's heir, but he was mighty God. And because of him, he's going to accomplish something. Go to Isaiah chapter 12. This is such a cool passage. This may be my favorite section of Isaiah. 53 is pretty good, though. But this one is amazing. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 and 3 through 3. And watch how it plays out. You will say, so he's writing to Israel and he's saying, you will say, in that day. What is that day? It's just like the later days. In the day that this Messiah, this king comes, this is what you're going to say. In that day you will say, I give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you are angry with me. Remember he was angry because we were in darkness. Your anger has turned away. And instead you've comforted me. Wait. So I made God angry, but now he wants to comfort me? How is this possible? And in verse 2, it's possible because God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord is my strength and my song. He, he, God has become my salvation. So with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So how, tell me, how will he, how will this baby be my salvation. How will the zeal of the Lord accomplish this? Because this is saying God is going to do this. He's going to become my salvation. How? That's where we go to Matthew chapter 1. So if you go to Matthew, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. You have the Old Testament. You have the New Testament. The Old Testament is all of God's work with the Jewish people that's leading up to the New Testament. The New Testament is all about the arrival of the Messiah. You could say the New Testament is in that day or the later time. So you have Matthew chapter 1. We'll talk more about the story, but you have a little idea what happened. This lady named Mary and her husband Joseph were visited by an angel, and they were told they were going to have a baby. In verse 21... The angel's talking to Joseph. The father's supposed to name the child in Jewish culture. So the angel comes to Joseph, and he says to him, she, which means Mary, will bear a son. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And here's what. You shall call his name Jesus, means God saves. The Lord, the Lord is my salvation, according to Isaiah 12. He shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because of the darkness we are caught in, he came to be a light to rescue us out of it. You could look at it like this. Here is this fable. We're going to celebrate this in a second. You have bread and you have the cup. 
So here's bread. Bread represents the human side of God, of the Son. So this baby grew up, and at the age of 33, he had the Last Supper, and he said, this is my body. This is my body, which is going to be given for you. He is going to die, and as a man, he's going to take our place to die for our sins. God's anger was thrown on him at the cross. He took all of God's anger. It's called propitiation. God was, took all of our sin and threw it on his son and unleashed his anger on his son. It's, it's, and he's done. When Jesus said, it is finished, it's kind of like God said, I'm done. No longer angry. It's finished. He has become our salvation. And then it says, with joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. This represents his perfect blood. He was also God. He was able to make an eternal covenant. He changed the first covenant, which was the covenant of the law. You sin, you die. Because he died and he shed his blood, he can make a new agreement. You know what the new agreement is? Is now that I have believed in his death and his resurrection, I have access into the Holy Father's presence. But I sinned. I'm, I, I sinned yesterday. Yeah, but he already died for that 2,000 years ago. He paid it in full. So when Jesus died on the cross, he even died for the sins you're going to do this afternoon, 2,000 years ago. And he made a deal with you. It's finished. So this is his new agreement. If I believe by faith his salvation is mine and now I can draw joy from the wells of salvation. He gives me his Holy Spirit who lives in me and he's always filling me with joy. If you don't believe you deserve this. There's no reason for the solution. But if you look deep in your heart, you have to admit, especially when you look at yourself early morning in the mirror, I'm a broken person. I sin a lot. And I need a Savior. I'll just, I'll just give you a personal testimony. When Jesus entered my life, he changed me. He took a rebel. I was really rebellious. And he slowly is making me righteous. It's incredible. And I used to wonder, if I die today, am I really going go to go to heaven? Is he really angry at me? And when I really understood this, I know, I know, Romans 5.1 is the truest truth. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the greatest promise, and I know it's true of me. He turned my darkness into light, and it's just getting brighter every day. How's your life? 